Well, hey, Harvest, uh, go ahead, grab your Bibles, get them open. We're going to continue our series uh, entitled Grace and Peace as we study 1 Peter together. You can open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. Last week, uh, Pastor Brock preached on this passage uh, right before the one we're going to dive into today, and it was all about who we are and what we do together. And now, uh, Peter is going to take that principle of who we are and apply it to how we ought to live in an unbelieving world. I don't know if you've ever felt uh, like you're the odd man out. Maybe you felt like, hey, I'm a little abnormal. I'm not quite sure what's going on. Uh, I've spent some time traveling overseas, and I can think of a few times uh, that I felt particularly out of place. One was a just a wild worship service in Honduras. Uh, but the first thing that comes to mind when I think about this idea of, uh, man, I don't quite understand what's going on. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, back when Starbucks was still open, my generous and loving wife offered to uh, go get me coffee. And she was like, well, what do you want? And I, she's not a coffee drinker uh, herself. And so I just was so appreciative of that. And, and what I said was, I would like a grande two pump blonde vanilla latte. Her response was, I, I don't even know what that means. I was like, just, you know, just, just say those words. Um, uh, as we were kind of preparing this morning, uh, I said uh, to Pastor DJ, like, hey man, what's your drink at Starbucks? And he said, it's a tall, wet cappuccino with two sugar in the raws steamed in. I, I didn't know what a wet cappuccino was, apparently. It has to do with the foam. <laughs> like sometimes we get into these situations where we're like, I'm the odd one out. I don't understand what's going on. Everybody else is acting a certain way, uh, but I don't understand. I'm not acting that way. I don't understand what's going on. And that happens with our faith too. That we are uh, living in an unbelieving world. We're living in a world that does not follow Christ. And sometimes that's really obvious. Sometimes it's not. But sometimes when we want to follow our faith, it can feel like we're swimming upstream. And thankfully, Peter is going to address this very thing in these verses. So we're going to start off in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. But before we uh, start reading from God's word, um, let's just pray that God would, would move through his word here uh, today. Lord, we're uh, so thankful for your word. And uh, even as uh, Peter is explaining these things, we believe that this is an inspired letter uh, to the people that he was writing to back then, and it holds great value as it is inspired for us. And so, Lord, I pray that you will help us to understand it and rightly apply it and obey uh, the commands that you've given us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, go ahead, again, uh, open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, if you hadn't, haven't already. And uh, Peter is going to give us, in this transition, he's going to give us a principle that will flow through the rest of the verses that we're going to read today. And that first principle comes right here in these first two verses. Uh, chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. <laughs> sojourners, that's not a word that I uh, generally use. I'm on my afternoon sojourn. Uh, that, that means foreigners, travelers, somebody who's just passing through. Exiles, these are internally and externally displaced persons. So, Peter is talking to people who are not in their homeland, who are not from this place. And he says this, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. He, he wants us to willingly give up actions that dishonor God. Don't fully assimilate into this uh, sinful culture, which is 
a good reminder for us just because everybody's doing it just because it feels good doesn't mean that it's the right thing and he continues to say uh, that wage war against your soul he's like setting the bar here this is not a small thing these uh, passions are waging war against your soul this is a big deal and these instructions make sense if you remember back from the very beginning in first peter chapter one he is uh, writing to the elect exiles of the dispersion so it would make sense travelers don't generally uh, adopt the the uh, customs and proclivities of the land they're in and neither should we as believers adopt all the customs and proclivities of the land that we're in and here's where he gets to this principle that I think is going to help us as we study the rest of these verses. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. What he's saying is behave lovingly in a praiseworthy manner among the unbelievers of the world so that when they speak against you as evildoers, and they will, they will speak against you as evildoers. They have different values, different passions, different desires, different beliefs. They worship different gods. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What he's saying is we want to behave honorably, be lovingly and praiseworthy in our behavior so that we can make an impact for the cause of Christ. This is that principle. The principle that's going to guide us through the rest of our conversation today. The principle is this. As the people of God, we live to make an impact for Christ wherever we live and work. As the people of God, we live no matter what we're doing, where we're going, what's up, wherever we are. We live to make an impact for Christ wherever we live or work. Now, Peter's not going to leave it there. He's not going to say, and just figure out how you ought to apply this in your daily life. No, he's actually going to dive into two very specific circumstances that I think still really apply to us as believers today. Which brings us to our first point in the sermon. After the principle, first point in the sermon, write this down. For the cause of Christ, be submissive and helpful members of society. Right here, jumping into verse 13. Be subject. That's not necessarily a fun word. That means to be obedient, to be subordinate, to be submissive. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. For the Lord's sake, uh, the key to everything. It's not for my sake. It's not for your sake. It's not for their sake. It is for the Lord's sake that we be submissive to every human institution. These are the people who are in authority. And as we keep going, that's kind of the statement that we're going to follow. And if you wanted to, you could draw a little parentheses that come next. So uh, to every human institution, parentheses, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as are sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, and parentheses, what he's doing is he's making sure that we understand that we are to be subject to every human institution, not just like limiting the ones that we like or the ones that we're close to or the highest ones or the lowest ones. He's making sure that we understand we ought to be subject to every human institution. And we're doing this for the Lord's sake. It makes me think, uh, many of you know, I have four kids at home and uh, oftentimes uh, my wife and I like to 
get away and go on a date. And it used to be that we had a babysitter. Uh, we've gotten to the point now where our kids are old enough where we can leave them without a babysitter for short periods of time and short distances away. And I gotta tell you, it's amazing. Uh, but when we had a babysitter, we always would tell our kids, listen, uh, you gotta obey the babysitter as if they're mom and dad. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to do everything they tell you to do. If they tell you to do something that mom and dad have told you not to do, then don't do it. But anything else, you have to do it because you're uh, following the babysitter as a substitute in that moment for mom and dad. It's very similar to what Peter is saying here. We're supposed to be subject to every human institution for the Lord's sake. And he continues in verse 15, for this is the will of God. I mean, the will of God. One of the questions that I get asked most as a pastor is something along the lines of, how do I know the will of God? And Peter is telling you straight up, the will of God is to submit and do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Uh, people won't understand what you believe. They may not uh, agree with the positions that you hold, but they should never be able to say that we as believers were unloving, that we as believers were not willing to do what was good. Because when we do, uh, we put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We live as people who are free, not using our freedom as a cover-up for sin. We're not under compulsion. We're free in Christ, but not so that we can have license to do whatever we want, but to live as servants of God. And then verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. It's a great summary. Honor everyone. That's our social, our neighbors, everything. The social structure of society the uh, love, the brotherhood. That's the church. That's our congregation. Those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're supposed to love them. Fear God. That's the spiritual aspect. We're supposed to recognize that our primary authority is God and we had better do what he says. And then finally, honor the emperor. That's the political. We could stop right there and we would have enough to apply. For the cause of Christ, be submissive and helpful members of society in every situation. You see, as a believer, I can't ask, how can I get what I deserve? As a believer, I have to ask, what is most beneficial for the cause of Christ? We live not for what we can get out of any situation, but what we can give to others for the benefit of the cause of Christ. And in doing so, we silence the ignorance of foolish people. You know, it's been interesting to see this in action uh, very recently in a circumstance out in New York City. Uh, many of you are familiar with the, uh, inst uh, the organization Samaritan's Purse. They do a lot of global humanitarian work uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. And on April 1st, Samaritan's Purse opened a, a field hospital in New York City in partnership with Mount Sinai Hospital. Um, their experience in doing um, uh, hospital and uh, medical work in high stress, high demand, high uh, virus type conditions led them to New York City. And very soon after that, the disdain flowed 
they were spoken against as evildoers. In fact, in an op-ed in the Daily News, uh, this was said, Soon, the makeshift field hospital recently erected in Central Park will go fully operational, at which point the 68-bed facility will begin to treat critically ill respiratory patients overflowing from nearby Mount Sinai. Sounds so encouraging. This would be wonderful news were it not for the fact that this outpost is being staffed and administrated by Samaritan's Purse, a Christian fundamentalist group led by a notoriously anti-LGBTQI and Islamophobic preacher. Business Insider quoted this, On April 6th, an advocate, uh, activist was arrested as he protested the organization. They have no business being in New York City. He said, they are the virus. NBC News said it this way, How is this group ever considered to bring their hatred and their vitriol into our city at a time of crisis when our people are fighting a, a pandemic? New York City Councilman, who eventually waged a, uh, a fair PR war against them, uh, said this, It is time for P Samaritan's Purse to leave New York City. This group led by the notoriously bigoted, hate-spewing pastor, came at a time when our city couldn't, in good conscience, turn away any offer for help. That time has passed. They came to help, and yet they were called out as evildoers. But it wasn't all negative. My favorite part of this whole story is this. In the course of the past four weeks, Tilson a man who is not religious and had never heard of Samaritan's Purse or its leader, has become one of the field hospital's most dedicated volunteers and champions. He's befriended many of the staff, donated shovels and sleds to help spread two tons of mulch across the muddy lawn, gifted thousands of dollars of bananas, apples, Starbucks, Frappuccinos, uh, soda, potato chips, other snacks to help those looking after the sick. This is what he said, is an incredibly impressive organization. He's a retired hedge fund manager who writes an investment newsletter. I have no doubt that they are delivering world-class critical care to my fellow New Yorkers stricken with COVID-19. Every single person I've met has been a genuinely nice person and very competent and good at their job. True to its name, Samaritan's Purse has asked nothing from New York and gave much by taking some of the burden off the shoulders of our health workers on the front lines of the battle against COVID. The New York Times finally said last week, the city's Commission on Human Rights closed an investigation into the hospital after finding no evidence that it had discriminated against any patients. See, I love this example. How much time could have been spent waging a war of words? How much time could have been spent waging a PR war so that people would understand, no, it's not like that, it's not like that. How many lives would have been impacted if they had done the fleshly thing and said, fine, you don't want us? I'm gonna take my ball and go home. I have felt that way, but no, they serve. Keep your head down and serve. Even when it's unpopular, even when they call you evildoers, not for our sake, not for their sake, not for the government's sake, but for God's sake. We submit and be helpful because we have a higher authority. And it's made, been made clear that that is his will for us. 
you know, in this season, Americans are wrestling with uh, the government and submission to governors and elected officials. Um, maybe as, as, as long as I can, more than I can ever remember. And, you know, that's come up for us as a church as well. Uh, we should never follow any instruction to sin. God's authority is supreme over all of that. If meeting together as Christians was ever outlawed, uh, was ever made a crime against the state, we would have uh, a serious decision to make on how to proceed in a way that still honors the Lord, but can no longer follow the authority that God has placed over us. I'm super grateful uh, that our, our governor here in Indiana has chosen to allow churches to make their own choices, to make choices that are God-honoring, to make choices that are community-loving, and to make choices that are uh, wise for our congregations. Uh, we give glory to God because of that freedom. So we're so thankful. Uh, as none of the guidelines that have come out would be considered sin, uh, we willingly submit to all of them, even the ones we might personally think are stupid, even the ones we don't agree with or don't want to do. And as Peter would exhort us, we do this good for the benefit of all believers and unbelievers alike. Now, Peter is going to move to a, a second specific circumstance, and I think it's another one that we'll all sort of uh, feel a little bit. This one he's going to dive into now where we work. So point number two, with your mind on Christ, be submissive and respectful to your employer. Okay, let's dive right in. One of the things as we uh, read these verses, I want you to see that it keeps the same structure as the verses we just read. Uh, verse 13 started with be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And then those parentheses. Verse 18 says this, servants... Be subject to your masters with all respect. And then we could put a little parenthesis. But I want to walk through this a little more slowly. Servants, be subject. Now, we tend to view that word servant as somebody who, you know, in the times way back then was under compulsion uh, to, to work uh, without any freedom or without any choice. But this is a pre-industrial world. That means that there weren't really like corporations. There were masters who owned things and servants who worked for things. Uh, we have that dynamic now. We have employers and we have employees. Now it's a little bit different, but this is very similar to the circumstances that we have now. So it's really for us best understood as employer, employees, be subject, again, same word, obedient, subordinate, submissive to your employer, to your master with all respect. And here's where he brings that like, yeah, just let me clarify some things, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. See, what he's saying is the character of the master, the character of the employer is irrelevant to this command. You are to be subject with your mind on God, which comes next. We are to be subject to your masters with all respect, regardless of the employer's character. And he continues, verse 19, 
For this is a gracious thing. This is a thing, a way of living that is commendable, that is worthy of reward when mindful of God. Again, not for your sake, not for their sake, not with my mind on me, not with my mind on them or what's best for my job, but with my mind on God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. What he's saying is it is a commendable and rewardable in heaven when you endure undeserved punishment with your mind on God. Verse 20, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? He's kind of, now let me talk about something real quick. Some of you deserved it. Some of you received punishment because you were in sin, because you messed up. He's saying, that's not necessarily going to get you reward in heaven. That's called a consequence. But, He continues, if when you do good and suffer for it. So if when you do good and receive bad, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. One commentator said it this way, it is respectful submission to undeserved suffering that finds favor with God because such behavior demonstrates his grace. And remember, In every situation, I'm not looking to get what I can get out of it. I'm not looking to receive. I'm looking to give in order to make an impact for the cause of Christ. That's what Peter is calling us to. Now, um, God is never going to ask us again to submit to an employer to the point of sin. And, you know, realistically, most of us are never going to experience that. But some might. See, as followers of Christ, it doesn't matter if you like your boss. It doesn't matter if your boss likes you. It doesn't matter if you respect your boss. It doesn't matter if you think they treat you well or not, if they like you or not as followers of Christ. We're supposed to respect our bosses, our employers, because our minds are on Christ. When we conduct ourselves honorably, they will see our loving behavior. And our prayer is, that they would glorify God on the day of visitation. That's from verse 11. Our prayer is that in our behavior towards them, our grace towards them, we would model the grace that we have received and they would see God's grace through us and choose to follow him. Now I want to stop and break for conversation here. And, uh, you know, honestly, I feel like we could stop and apply so many parts of this text. I know that for me, as I've studied it, I've wrestled through it. Like, man, like, I don't want to do some of this stuff. It's difficult. How can I be more helpful to society? How can you be more respectful to your employers? What passions of the flesh do you need to abstain from? But in our culture, I think one of these is the hardest. As 21st century Americans, the word submit is a four-letter word. It's equated with weakness, even cowardice. But that's simply not true. And it's certainly not a biblical part of our culture. And so, though it might be very uncomfortable, I want you to discuss submission. 
So here's the question. We're gonna pause, uh, whether you're watching this by yourself and wanna take notes and think this through, whether you're uh, in a living room with your small group or uh, with your family, just kind of pause for a second and ask this question. Whether toward the government or in my office, where do you need to increase your submission? And how can doing so impact the world around you for Christ? All right, now how many of you felt just a little uncomfortable in that conversation? How many of you felt like, well, uh, Peter didn't really understand what it's like to work for my boss? And how many of you maybe tried to draw little conditions around? Like, well, he didn't have to follow these elected officials, or he never experienced this in our culture. How many of you kind of tried to minimize those commands? Uh, Peter right now is gonna take that and our uh, common desire to say, well, what's the least I can do? And he's gonna bulldoze right through that, starting right here in verse 21. He says this, for this you have been called. You've been called to suffer. For this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. And that brings us to the third point that we have today. Uh, get rid of all excuses and follow Christ's example. Verse 22, he committed no sin. There were no sinful actions that he committed. Uh, he uh, Neither was deceit found in his mouth. There were no lying words. When he was reviled, that means that religious uh, like awful words poured out on top of him. He did not revile in return. There was no retaliation. When he suffered, when he was physically beaten, he didn't even threat, not even a threat. And I just love, uh, this would be a great thing for you to study this week. I just love how scripture uh, comes together. This is almost directly out of Isaiah 53. And uh, Peter is drawing on that to bring this imagery to mind, to say that Christ was without fault. And yet, he still chose to suffer. He still chose to give up what he could have grasped in order to serve. Christ's example is complete and our calling to follow it is not conditional. Christ, he could have legitimately used any of thousands of excuses, legitimately, for not sacrificing on our behalf, chose not to exercise any of those rights. So following his example removes any excuses we have, any exceptions that we create for ourselves. Uh, I was an only child. Uh, as I was growing up, I was a little bit of a negotiator. And as I, my kids are getting older, I realized like, oh, that's probably from me. Uh, here's the principal, son. Go and do it like this. Well, mom, dad, have you thought of this, 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 and this? Let me just kind of, you know, I'm trying to uh, weasel my way around it. In fact, uh, once in college, I talked to a professor into uh, excusing a number of absences because I didn't think it was fair that I got penalized for missing 
class even though I got good grades on the test. I, like, I was trying to find the loophole. I was trying to work my way around. I was trying to create exceptions for myself and, and convince others of them. But when it comes to living an honorable life, when it comes to submitting to these authorities, when it comes to serving and doing good, there are no loopholes. There are no ways around it. Christ's example closes every single one of them. The way he loved, the way he served, the way he sacrifices removes every exception. We love and sacrifice because he did. End of story. Full stop. No excuses. Ironclad. And so I just want to take a moment and look a little bit more closely in these uh, verses. And I think that there are probably four excuses that we would generally come up with that are just invalidated by Christ's example. And first is in uh, verse 22. So uh, I shouldn't have to take this. I shouldn't have to sacrifice. I shouldn't have to uh, serve this way. I shouldn't have to live this way because, number one, I haven't done anything wrong. Verse 22, but neither did he. He committed no sin. I shouldn't have to take this. I shouldn't have to sacrifice. I shouldn't have to serve this way because, number two, I haven't said anything wrong. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. He didn't either. And yet he still lived that way. Well, I shouldn't have to take this. I shouldn't have to serve this way. I shouldn't have to sacrifice because they don't treat me that way. Verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Neither did Christ. And yet he still lived that way. Well, I shouldn't have to take this. I shouldn't have to sacrifice. I shouldn't have to serve. I have a right to respond. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Not a single word. All of those things might be true for you. All of them might be absolutely true. They certainly were for Jesus. And God cares deeply about them. Which is why this next part is so, so, so important. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Justice is coming. It's just that it's not our job to make sure that it gets here. God sees it. God knows it. God will judge justly every person according to their actions. And praise the Lord that when he looks at us as believers, he will see the work of Jesus Christ and we will not receive what we deserve. We will receive what Christ's work has done for us, his righteousness. So we are obedient to the word. We conduct ourselves honorably. We sacrifice for others because Christ sacrificed for us. And as we come to the final verses of this passage, as we come to the place, we have such hope and we have such joy because, in conclusion, the, the path of obedience to these verses, the path of obedience was cleared by Christ's work. Peter continues, and he says, he himself, that's Jesus Christ, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, 
that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You see, Christ took undeserved punishment for our blessing. He did what he didn't have to do so that we could get what we didn't deserve. That's the example, and that's the power. Without his sacrifice, we're still dead in our sins. Without his sacrifice, we are not alive in his righteousness. But because of his sacrifice, we are no longer dead in our sins. We are alive in his righteousness. That's the example that he set for us. And as the people of God, we live to make an impact for Christ wherever we live and wherever we work. Praise God for his word. Praise God for his work. And may many more praise God in central Indiana because of how we live as his people in this world. Harvest, you are loved and you are sent.